You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I remember coming downstairs one morning, about two o'clock in the morning. I was dying for vodka. So I sneaked myself downstairs. I found this bottle of vodka and my wife had followed me downstairs and she snatched a bottle of vodka off the counter. What I did was took a kitchen knife out and stabbed her three times. And she fell to the floor, I grabbed the vodka and I started drinking it. When I came back, she packed all her bags and she was gone, took my children and everything. The last thing my eldest daughter said to me at the age of three was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. My guest today is Dr. Rob Kelly, the addiction expert. He's here to share his story of addiction and recovery. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rob. Okay, so my name's Dr. Rob Kelly, the comedy, the addiction doctor. Um, chronic alcoholic. I used to take drugs, but I'm not addicted to drugs, just alcohol I'm addicted to. So I want to go back many years uh, to when I was nine. I first took my first drink on stage, Liverpool uh, Irish Centre was the place in the UK. And uh, I was at age nine and I was so nervous for the first half of the set that my uncle gave me half a beer. Never tasted beer before in my life. I took that half a beer and the whole world just lit up for me. I asked my friends now, I go, what was it like when you took, when you first drank beer? And they all go, oh, it was horrible. It was absolutely disgusting. Not with me. It was absolutely amazing. For many years, it served as my, oh, it served as my everything. Confidence. And as I went into high school, it was confidence speaking to women, you know, all this, all girls, just amazing stuff. And then obviously throughout the years, if anybody knows my story out there, then it just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, it wasn't a good ride, though I got great experience from it. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that, to, to that part that you just shared for sure. Like the... For me, like the, the drinking and the drugs came, it gave me that boost of confidence. It was, it was like the, the, the magic cure to like socialize and be able to, to feel okay around people and like feel normal. That, that was the part of it. When I, when I, when I started to come off the drink, when I, when I, when alcoholism took over, I wasn't drinking to get drunk. I was drinking to feel normal. And that's, and that's the misunderstood uh, illness of alcoholism as a whole. Most people know about drug addiction, sex, drugs, you're addicted. But with alcohol, it's a different deal. And that's what I study, neuroplasticity and neuropathways regarding the alcoholic addicted brain with addictive tendencies. That, that's the stuff I suffer. Because I can tell you now that after the loss, because I thought getting married would solve my drinking, didn't think I was an alcoholic, but I thought it would solve my drinking. It didn't. First child, nope. Second child, nope. A dog, you know, whatever you, you, new car, nothing. I was carrying on drinking because I didn't think I had a problem. And that was the main thing. So uh, I'll tell you categorically, alcoholics are born this way, that you can't drink enough alcoholic until you become an alcoholic. So you can't drink enough alcohol to become an alcoholic. It doesn't work like that with alcoholics. That does the same with drug addiction. You can take drugs, become addicted, but not with alcohol. We're born this way. It's a predisposition passed down hereditary from your father or your grandfather. If you haven't got alcoholism in your family that you can trace back two generations, you have to doubt and say, hey, am I alcoholic or am I the heavy drinker that abuses alcohol? Because there's the difference. The people who abuse alcohol on a Friday night should be locked up overnight until they start behaving properly. 
An alcoholic on a Friday night should be taken to some sort of treatment. You see, it's not about the alcohol. That's where many people get it wrong. But all them alcoholics, if they could just stop drinking, it's got nothing to do with the drink. It's got 1% with the alcohol, 99% the way my brain works. See, my, my brain is different to anybody I know, apart from my alcoholic friends. And we hear things different, and we process things different, and we have head. There are billions of neural pathways in the head. Usually, it's a 70-30 split between good neural pathways and self-sabotaging. That's the normal human being. What I have is 70% wants to kill myself, so uh, self-sabotaging neural pathways, and 30% that wants me to be a good guy. So we're not to, alcoholism is not a behavioral problem. We need to get that on the table straight away. You know, it's an illness. My my brain and neural pathways have been remapped uh, shortly after birth. And the trauma, if you're a real alcoholic, you have trauma. Every single case has trauma that redevelops and remaps the young brain. So add that to the isolation, the abandonment, the trauma that we've seen growing up, plus the alcoholic gene that's passed down through generations, it's a no wonder we, we drink until we drop because I don't know one alcoholic or drug addict right now who are in the depths of their disease and want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. There comes a point in everybody's life where you go, I think I'm done. But it's not that easy because when I I was very successful uh, with what I was doing, I uh, went to Oxford University uh, I was a PhD psychologist, so I was doing pretty good. All that wiped off. All the kids left me, the wife left me, the house got foreclosed on, the cars got back. I had nothing. Parents wouldn't speak to me. They threw me out. Brothers and sisters, they absolutely didn't want nothing to do with me. Friends to associates to associates to the streets. So I'm living on the streets on my first night, and I don't mean south, whether you guys have heard sometimes go coach surfing on some surfing was coat. I don't know what it's called. Sofa, sofa surfing. Uh, nothing like that. This was sleeping on benches, sleeping under trees, finding bushes where it was warm because it snowed most of the time when I was on the streets or rained. You know, it was a horrible place to be. And 3% of people uh, were in my position. 3% of people get off the streets. The rest die on the streets. I woke up one morning, probably about 5 o'clock, when I stood around on, the, on this bench in the middle of Manchester, UK, and the guy next to me had been stabbed to death for his sneakers. That's the kind of world I'd been introduced to. Now, I grew up on, on the projects. Don't get me wrong. But I tried to better myself as we went along because that life wasn't for me. And, and due to alcohol, um, I, I, got a, I, I was on the stage at nine playing musical instruments, bass guitar. I can play anything, but bass guitar was my deal. I applied to uh, a, a recording studio in Stockport, just outside Manchester, Turned out to be a 10cc studio. I was playing bass tracks for TV and radio commercials back in the day. From then, I was brave enough and had enough balls, despite what everyone thought of me, to apply for a job at Abbey Road as their session musician. I got that job after about seven auditions. So I was very tenacious. I had my head screwed on the right way, but my alcohol and drug use just started to take over. And, and that was fine because when I went into Abbey Road, all these guys are using and drinking just like me. So when you're playing with the likes of Elton John, David Bowie, Queen, all them guys with Session, you're driving a Porsche 911, you're living a life, it's very hard for me to come off it and start saying, hey, I should stop this. I, I tried treatment. I tried, you know, acupuncture. I, try, I tried everything, hypnosis, but at the end of the day, I could stop for a week or maybe a month. 
But that was it. Sooner or later, I would pick up that drink and the madness would start all over again. I remember coming downstairs one morning and uh, about two o'clock in the morning, I was dying for vodka, but I knew I had some downstairs in the kitchen. So I sneaked myself downstairs. I found this bottle of vodka. I put it on the counter. I turned around for a second. That's all it was, a second breath. And my wife had followed me downstairs and she snatched a bottle of vodka off the counter. She said, I think you've had enough. So let's think about it for a second. It's probably my third bottle in the last 24 hours. Handle a big, huge bottle. And I was due to go to a board meeting at my own company in four hours. And I had to drive there. So I should have said, thank you, Mrs. Kelly. Went back up to bed and, and slept for another five hours. What I did was took a kitchen knife out and stabbed her three times. And she fell to the floor. I grabbed the vodka and I started drinking it. And I watched her started to bleed and she was screaming. And I walked to the phone and I called the ambulance and I called the police. And I was finishing my bottle off and then I called a taxi. And as soon as the taxi arrived and I could hear the sirens in the background, I jumped in it and fled to Spain. And I never come back until they promised and uh, legally the attorneys agreed that I, she wouldn't press charges and I'd come back to England. But when, she, when I came back, she packed all her bags and she was gone, took my children and everything. The last thing my eldest daughter said to me at the age of three was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. Because she took the kids straight away and I come, I went on and said, no, you know, I can do this. You know, so I got my attorney, get my kids back. The next day, he come back with some sort of court injunction. But I got my kids back. I put them in front of the TV. I walked into the kitchen. I was so proud, Brett. And I just thought to myself, just have one drink to celebrate your kids coming back. That's all you need. Just one drink, sitting with them all night, have fun. Three days later, when the police had to smash the door to get into the house where daddy had been drinking for two or three days, where the children had not been changed diapers or not been fed for two days. They nearly died. They smashed the door down and coming this police officer kicked me. He said, you're a fucking disgrace. And he threw papers down at me, which read unfit father on it. And I walked to the door and everybody was there. The, the protective services, the police, the child protection, mom, her, her mom, the wife, you know, it was just horrific. So they, they took my girls off me and then the eldest one, she's walking up the path with mommy holding her hand, like, you know, the way they do little toddlers. And she turned around and she says three things. She says, daddy, daddy, please don't go. It's the first thing she said to me. And they, I was crying. If the police were crying, I couldn't believe that one, one police woman and one policeman was crying. Then she got further halfway down the path and she turned around again. And she says, daddy, daddy, please get better. And as they got to the gate, like I said before, the last thing she said to me was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. I've never seen my eldest 30 years on. I still haven't seen my youngest, I'm sorry, youngest. You know, it's just, it was, it's just horrible. It's relationships are dead. Um, I messed up everybody I came into contact with. I was aggressive. Uh, I'm still aggressive now, but aggressive about recovery. You know, I'm a big guy, 280 pounds, ex-bodybuilder ex-fighter, you know, I carry this message well. I've got all this experience. I carry this well. See, I wanted, I understand what people are like when they come to me and go, yeah, Dr. Rob, you don't understand in your big house and your Porsche and stuff. And I go, what's the problem? I've just had my kids taken off me. Let me sit down and talk to you about that. Or what do you know? You've never been beaten and raped on the streets yet. Let me sit down. Let me tell you about the time I was. You see, it's like I've got all this experience going forward that, no matter what people come up and say, yeah, you don't know, but I've got it. I've been through it. 
it's like I went through everything you can imagine, you know, going around dumpsters looking for food, you know, to eat. I dropped down to about 170 pounds. No, less than that, probably 120. I was skinny. I was getting beat up for the first time in my life. I just, I didn't have the weight to carry behind. You know, it was horrible. I got slashed. I got beaten. But I started trying to survive. It was so aggressive about surviving to pass this message on that, you know, some call me obnoxious, arrogant, loud, cocky. That's about right. That's what I am. It's not, I'm not denying that, guys. But, you know, if I'm speaking to somewhere or I'm doing a podcast somewhere and one person goes, holy shit, I really relate to this guy and that resonates, I'm going to call that guy that I've done my job today. And that's all that matters to me. And uh, I had a huge spiritual awakening on the streets. I remember one Sunday morning, two o'clock-ish. Everything happens around two o'clock for me during my life. I don't know why. I drove down to Anthony's. I was on the back end of Manchester in the grimy, in the grimy cobbled stone streets where nobody lived. They were all derelict houses. And I'm walking down that road and I dropped down to my hands and knees and I started to cry like a baby. Wasn't crying because I lost my kids. Wasn't crying because I'd lost my wife and all my money and my houses and my cars and my holiday home. Not crying because of that. I was sobbing because the first time in my life, the first time I realized I couldn't stop drinking. I remember looking up to the sky and saying, I tried suicide, Brett. On two occasions, it worked. My heart stopped. I was bleeding out. Guys saved me every time. Two guys, first time. The other time they pulled me off the railway track before the train hit me. Hated them then for that. Hated them for a long time, especially the ambulance people, EMTs. They saved me. I hated that. But I remember looking up to the sky and saying, hey, if there's a God up there, and I'm crying and sobbing when I said this, I can't, I can't do this on my own anymore. And about 30 seconds later, a guy walked around the corner. I'm not a religious guy. I'm a spiritual guy. The guy walked around the corner with a Bible in his hand. And he said, hey, buddy, or oh, hey, mate, you need help. He said, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I'm dying. And he told me how he'd just been to a Bible study and that he was an alcoholic in recovery. He'd missed his last bus home. So we had to walk for about an hour to get to where I was to find me on the streets. The chances of us two meeting is almost impossible. He took me back to his house and uh, there my journey started. I started getting involved, getting to my meetings, had a relationship with God, and I started doing the right thing, and every single day got better and better and better. Because I want to say something, guys. If you're at home listening to this show and you don't think you're good enough or you don't think you can amount to anything, I want to apologize to you. Somebody's put that there. Alcoholics and addicts are born with million-dollar minds. Stop fucking hanging around 10-cent minds. It's not for us. Have your deal. Get in trouble. Do everything you got to do to get out, but fucking get out. You know, go to them meet and seek them strong people out like me, them loud people who are speaking the truth. Don't be going to them meetings, them heavy drinking meetings. Oh, we'll do one step a month. Don't worry, you get it by osmosis. What the fuck does osmosis mean? I still don't know what that means today. But you hear this shit, get to the right people, get help, call somebody. I'm going to give you my phone number before I leave today, guys. If you're listening, call me. I'm not going to cost you anything. You're my guys, you're my peeps out there. You know, there's a way out. I'm proving it time and time again. I've worked with about six and a half thousand people over the past 25, 30 years, you know, aggressively with this. Some patients, some sponsees. Uh, there's a way out. I've seen it six and a half thousand times. Don't let anybody tell you there isn't a way out. 
Don't let anybody tell you inside any fucking 12-set room or outside that you can't recover from this bullshit. I'm a recovered alcoholic. That's what I am. I'm living life on life's terms, and it's fucking beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, once we get clean and sober and we start working with people, start asking your higher power for shit. I know I did. I want that million-dollar house. I want. I, I, I had three things when I came to America, and everybody laughed at me, apart from two people that were my friends. I, you know, I said I wanted to write a book. Everyone went, fucking hell. No one will understand you, Rob. I mean, all the jokes came out. I had two people went, yeah. Yeah, why haven't you wrapped one already, Rob? Of course, you can. I can see it. It's already done. But when I go on TV where there's almost 20 million people watching me nationwide while I tell my message, all my friends went, there's no chance. Two guys said, I thought you'd already done that, Rob. What's wrong? I thought you was already there. You know, I had these, I want a million, I want, I want to be a millionaire. Check all these things that people believe me that I do today. And that's what I do to other people, you know, is I, I, tell, I tell people how I did it. You see, anybody can have anything. Don't let anybody tell you different. Well, I can't be the president of the United States. I beg to differ today. I'm not talking politics, but you know what I mean. A businessman has been running the country. So don't tell me you can't do anything. Don't tell me you can't build your own business when you're sober because it's bullshit. Don't tell me you can't earn a million dollar years when you're sober because it's bullshit. It's all here. Once we've decided that once we decide to take steps that reset neural pathways. I have a spiritual experience and a psychic change, which is just a change of mind. My DNA changes. Remember that. Psychic change, spiritual awakening, DNA change. Why is that important? A beautiful big book says the same man's going to drink again. We have to be different. The book talks about being reborn. Before we're reborn, ask any woman in the world. So I was pain, really bad pain. And that's what we've gone through, guys. We've gone through this really bad pain to get as where we are. We're reborn. How the fuck can I have a bad day getting out of a dry bed? Kissing my wife on the forehead while she makes breakfast for me. Petting my three English bulldogs, you know? Walking out in a yard that's crazy nice with the pool. and the, How can I have a fucking bad day? Well, I can't. I have no sponsor who used to say to me, Brad, I used to go, oh, I've had a bad day today. And he used to say, was it really a bad day, Rob? Or was it five minutes you spread out all day? Mm-hmm. And that was usually the case. See, my job is to inspire today. My job is to, to get listeners and viewers to go, holy shit, do you think I could do that? Let me answer that for you. Fuck yeah, you can. Of course you can. You know, of course you can. You know, psychology is beautiful, but quantum physics is better. So quantum physics tells me that I can be on any basketball court, for instance, 25 places at the same time. What? Nothing solid, they tell me. Proven science. Where would I want to be? I want to be over near the goal. Why, Rob? I get a ball, bang it in the net, hero of the game. Wow. How are you going to get there, Rob? I'm going to walk over and take that fucking position. That's what I'm going to do. I don't ask for it. I don't beg for it. I can already visualize it. I'm going to walk over and take it. That's the key to life. Don't let anybody get in your way. If you hang around nine depressed people, you will become the tenth. If you're on 25 grand a year and you want to earn 50, hang around the guys that earn 50 grand a year. Hang around them winning guys that are doing stuff in life, that are giving back, that are always giving back. I went to a place today. It was a place I went to years ago, back in Dallas. I'm back in Dallas right now for two days. And in San Antonio, Texas, usually. And we walked in there, and it was just beautiful, man. We could help people financially. That's what God's given me today. 
because you could take everything away. You can take the houses, the cars, the money, the toys, stick me in a tent in the middle of a field with my wife, three English bulldogs and my two cats and a big book, and I'll still inspire the same name today because they're not my, it's just toys. They come and go. Not mean anything to me. It's nice to have it, but you know what's also nice? It's nice to walk into a, a place like a homeless place and buy everybody lunch. That's what I like to do and give them hope, you know, that one day they can do the same. And that's, you see the TV and the books and the, and the practices around all that stuff just keeps my wife happy and pays the mortgage, guys. That's not my job. My job is in the trenches where the fucking real work is done, where you're lifting people up to God as quick as you can. And you watch miracles after miracles. I've seen too many miracles in my life, Brett. I've seen too many miracles for one person. I see it every single day in my, my club that I go to where newcomers come in with the distraught and horrible and we get them through the steps and we get them through the book in days, not weeks or months. And they have that experience and then the sponsoring and then their sponsors. Are sponsor. It's just a fucking amazing, contagious, happy, joyous and free feeling that everybody can have. It's like, oh, Rob, you might be on a pink cloud. Be careful, it wears off. Yeah, I'm 30 years in, still on the pink cloud, by the way, haters, still on the pink cloud, and I'm not coming off, you know? Get it done, guys. The worst thing in my life was alcoholism. The best thing in my life is recovering from said disease, you know? But you have to wait. You have to really understand uh, what recovered means. Recovered in the Oxford English, because that's where the guys that wrote the book, uh, the Oxford group, and to Oxford University, uh, what they mean and what they say. Recovery is to gain one's health and state of mind back. That's all it is. We're not cured. We, you know, we're not any cockier or anybody else's. You know, we just gain one's health and state of mind back. And that's all I ever wanted. I wanted, I wanted a little chance. When it was snowing one night, I remember Christmas Eve, I was walking past houses. It was snowing. He had a little coat and I was freezing. I looked in these windows and see all these families, Brett, all having dinner and all, you know, high and, you know, toasting and the kids running around. And I thought of my kids with a fucking father that was a bum, a drunk and a bum, you know. And I looked at the, these and I just I asked God, I just said, just give me one day doing that with some family, one day. And I can imagine what he was thinking. He was going, fuck you. I'm going to give you everything you ask for because you're doing the right thing. And we find that mostly in life. Let's forget the alcohol for a second. Forget the this, this spiritual journey for a second. If you're in the middle of nowhere and you throw a piece of paper at a trash can and it misses, lands on the floor, you're going to pick it up or you're going to leave it there. Because if you're going to pick it up, big things are heading your way. If you're going to leave it there, it's all for sure. And I know plenty of those people, by the way. Plenty of those people. So life, life is amazing today, Brett, but there are lessons. It's all lessons. If you're at home listening, guys, you know, if you don't think you're good enough, you know, just think. Somebody's put that there. It's not your thinking. It's not your way of thinking. You have to realize that when you go through this stuff and you recover from the other side, you have to realize how much power you have. That book I read says I'm empowered. Empowered. To uh, empower. Oh, my God. Just listen to that word. It's like I'm empowered. I used to walk into the room, any room at any given time, or my head down, my shoulders down. You know, especially on the streets going, I wonder if anybody likes me. Today I walk in with my head high and my shoulders broad and go, who the fuck am I liking in today? Who do I like in here? You know, because that's what life's about. Oh, you're an alcoholic. That must be awful. Fucking amazing. 
It's the best thing that happened to me and people around me. And listen, if you don't think it gets even better, four years ago, my eldest daughter, remember the one, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking, contacted me on Facebook. I goes over to England to meet her for the first time in so many years. She gets the introduces to my, to my three-month-old granddaughter, all that great stuff coming back, you know? And what happened about two years ago, she said she wanted to go back to school and become a, a counsellor, an NLP counsellor. So we paid for her to go back to school. Four months ago, she opened up my Manchester office in the United Kingdom. She now works for Rob Kelly Recovery Group as one of the counsellors. See, it all happens. It's all about belief. So people call me up today, Brett, all the time. Just don't want to practice, Rob. I want to be a sober coach. How much should I charge? And my answer is always the same. How fucking much are you worth? How much are you worth? I think I'm worth $200. Bang, there you go. Put that in. Everyone else is charging 80. Fuck everybody else. How much are you worth? That's People don't know. I always say to my patients, you know, if we could swap places for two minutes, your life would change forever. Because you will see what I see. And that's a fucking powerful man or woman sitting in front of me, capable of anything in the world once they put their mind to it. The only difference between you not working and being in a halfway house and the guy across the road who's sat in that multi-million dollar CEO seat of that company is thought patterns that can be changed. Remember a psychic change? That's all it is. You can have exactly what he asked. It's just a thought pattern. He believes in himself. Maybe you don't. And that's the key to life. Just don't give a shit what anybody thinks. Am I wearing the right stuff? Is my haircut okay? I'm going to a concert tonight, Brad Paisley concert. I have a one on my right foot, I have an orange sneaker, and on my left foot, I have a green. I don't give a shit. You know? The best day of my life, Brett, is when I stopped giving a fuck what other people thought of me. It was so freeing. Unbelievable, absolutely free. I want to finish on this, guys. Get closer to this podcast a second. If you're struggling, or you don't think you're worthy, or never met to anything, or just think that this is your lot in life, which is a lie, by the way, I'm going to give you my personal phone number. You call me. It ain't going to cost you anything. I'll give you a 10-minute pep talk that will change your life. So here's my personal phone number. 214. 600-0210. You don't get my assistant. You don't get my secretary. You don't get the front desk. You get me. On the end of that phone, it's going to give you a pep talk that will change your life. I guarantee it. Otherwise, I'll send you a thousand dollars through the mail. How's that for a promise? Whew. That was intense, man. That was intense. Thank you. We're going now, Brett. We're, make, we're going now. Here we go. Come on. Well, I know we're we're trying to shoot for that thirty minute mark because you got a concert to go to. You got your your orange shoe, your green shoe on, man. So, uh, in closing, would you, I know you just gave us your phone number? Uh, if if the listeners are interested in finding out more about you or your services, what are the best ways for them to get in contact with you? Website, social media. Well, if you can see the screen, obviously you see my name is with two B's. R O B B K E L O Y dot com is the website. So robkelly dot com is the website. Jump on Amazon or nip into Walmart. You'll see a book there. Have a guess what the book's called, Brett. It's called The Last Thing My Daughter Said to Me. Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. And all 
of the proceeds, not the profits. You always hear, I'll give all the profits away. No, bullshit. Every single dime that you spend on that book, it's $9 or something. Every single $9 goes out to the communities around the US and the UK. Every 100, 200,000, I think, last year we give away to homeless people, to people who want to get their life on, the kids back. You know, this is good shit. So run on, buy that. You know, if you if you buy it and don't like it, text me, I'll fucking refund your money. It's not about the money. We don't see any of that. This is about an inspiring story about this old guy here. I'm sick. I was 16 a few weeks ago, Brett, you know, and I always visualized myself doing this crazy shit when I was 60. And I'm so happy that I made it. Or you can put Dr. Rob Kelly in any search engine and you'll see all my stuff, all the stuff that I've done. I have my own podcast on Friday and uh, you'll see a few uh, episodes of some famous shows that I'm on, but everything's awesome. Thank you so much, Brett, for allowing me on. You're amazing, by the way. I read up on you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much, Dr. Rob. I appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day, coming on the show, giving us that message, man. That was, whew, I'm still sitting here just like goosebumps on my arms, man. I, <laughs> I, I love to hear people that are fired up for recovery, man. It, 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 I feel like you're just passing that flame on, man, keeping keeping that spark alive. And I love, I love the passion and... Thank you for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. No, it was absolutely my pleasure. And if there's anything I can do to push your podcast forward or improve your business or help you in any way, contact Courtney and we're going to make it happen. So we're going to be friends for a long time, Brett. You ain't getting, you're not getting away this season. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Dr. Rob, thank you again for coming on the show today. I really admire your passion that you have for recovery, and I think your story can help a lot of people. So thank you again for coming on the show. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.